Hello, Hancocks and Lemons, and welcome to episode 16 of the Chat Shit Podcast, brought to you this week by the guy who already knew that Tony Blair was a liar. Apologies to all for starting on a bleak and sort of somber note, uh, but by the time uh, this episode is released and people start hearing it, uh, it will be the one-year anniversary of my father's death, and um, it has been a turbulent year, coming to terms with a lot of things, just to be expected uh, uh, with anybody with, uh, through the loss of a loved one. And so this week, uh, my guest is my little sister, ladies and gentlemen. thought there would be a, a very fitting tribute and homage to, to our father, who was the one half of the reason what we're doing today uh, in the respect of that I have taken the route of uh, a theatrical director whereas my sister has taken the music side of things and I think I can vouch for both of us when I say that he taught us everything we know. Can't really go on t- uh, too much into anything else about it really other than to say that um, this episode is uh, highly influenced about uh, mine and my sister's upbringing so turn off now if you don't think it'll be uh, of interest to you, but at the same time of a saying a, a thank you, and uh, this is our personal way of, of remembering him. So um, if you stick with it, then thank you very much. Much appreciated. Ladies and gentlemen, Tess Tyler. That's life, that's life, that's life, and I can't deny it. Many times I thought I'd cut out, but my heart won't buy it. But if there's nothing shaken, come this here July. I'm gonna roll myself up in a big ball and die. My, my. Um, this is the best one. Oh, I didn't do the. Oh, never mind. Do the what? The glug 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 glug. Nah. <laughs> it's just not, you know, no dickhead about actually like do it seriously. Okay, yeah. Right, dickhead? <laughs> <laughs> this is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he would have liked it. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, us doing something together, absolutely. The bickering side, which is inevitably going to happen. Mm-hmm. Bring it on. So, EU. <laughs> You've just done this. <laughs> no, but it's creativity. Yeah. So, there's always been one question which I've always wanted to ask you. Because of our upbringing, it has been mostly performance-based. Yeah. In that how I've gone into the acting, directorial side of stuff. Mm. Uh, our mother was a choreographer, but then mm. through musicals, father productions yeah. and mainly musicals as well. But you... We've gone into the industry of music, which is somewhat relatable, some are there. Yeah. And this is diving right in. Is that due to you wanted to steer away from theatre? Is it was it something was that purposeful or was that just no. something which has been a, a natural thing which you progressed into? I've I love the theatre. Will actively go to the theatre. I still am a big, big fan of musicals, which is no doubt due to due to mum and dad. Mm. Um and I guess when I first started singing, I did think to myself, okay, well, musical theatre is very attractive to me. It's story-driven, for one, which I have always, you know, I used to read a lot as a kid, and, mm. you know, I always found that quite interesting. But That played a big part, did it? Huge, huge, massive, yeah. yeah. I've always been a fan of, you know, narrative-driven 
art, really, to be fair. And obviously, you know, growing up in, in a musical theatre environment is very exciting. And I, when I started singing, and I, that was the, the genre that I enjoyed singing in the most, you know, when I started singing lessons and, mm. you know, I did think, you know, I want to be a singer and this is what I want to do. I want to be on stage because of all the glory, mm. I think. Because, it, I mean, the, the rush of performing in front of an audience is, it's the best. Second the, to none, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's second yeah. to none. Like, you you know that feeling, you know, with acting and everything. Like, it's, yeah. that runs in our blood, I think, to an extent. I think it is um, genetic. Um, I really do. Yeah. But even at that young age, did you did you think Absolutely. that or did you feel that? Absolutely. Like, even, even in, you know, the, the type of education I had, which was incredibly academic, I thought to myself... No, I would. I would rather. I would rather be a performer, rather than you know behind the scenes music. I don't know music theory or you know mm. musicology that kind of thing. Ethnomusicology was a big thing. I even considered music journalism at one point. No, I, when I started singing, I thought, yeah, I'm. I'm. You know, I'm pretty good at this. The training is exciting to me, and I really thought that that was an option. And mm. then I got even at that young age. Did you think? Did you know within yourself, I'm pretty good at this, or I know that I can hold a note, or were you told that and then kind of, um, uh, were you then pro- uh, pushed in that way, either through the parents or through your teachers and things? I I don't think I was ever pushed. I don't, I don't think I was ever pushed. Like, mum and dad were very, very careful to not push me in any mm. direction. Yeah, they, they were they're quite inc- nice like that. Incredible yeah. like that, that they just kind of would support any talent that showed, I suppose. Um, and they, was I it? think, I think I remember, I remember the exact moment when mum took me to sing lessons because I begged her and begged her. I was doing piano lessons. I was doing violin lessons, not really mm. enjoying either yeah. at that point. I was around, I don't know, nine, 10 years God, old. God, I remember the violin lessons. Yeah. yeah. And then, <laughs> and then I remember, I think it was probably the nine o'clock news at that point. Um, rather than the 10 o'clock news. And right. I remember singing the jingle before it came on. <laughs> Mum turned around and went, fuck, that's perfect pitch. You're in perfect pitch. And I was like, what What does that mean? And I didn't understand what that meant. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the nine o'clock news came on. And like, da, 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 you know, that kind of thing. And, um, oh, and it was, it was well. bang on pitch. Yeah. And I remember Mum turning to me and being like, okay, we'll take you to singing lessons. So that was... That was a. I didn't understand at the time really right. why that was a thing. She realised then that there was an ear. There yeah. was a proper ear for music, and because with piano and violin at the time, although I could do it, there was no musicality behind it. And I think that's what you know, what mum and dad understood yeah. to do with music. It wasn't the theory necessarily. It was the the musicality, and that was the and the talent as well to be able sure. to, to be able to spot it and go. But then oh, you're good at this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's talent. There's talent in technique, mm. you know, like in the, you know, I got to my grade five on piano and was technically quite good, yeah. but I, there wasn't enough interest for me to stand above others, yeah. you know, like, you know, in the same year as me at school, there were way better pianists than me. And it's only really when I hit the grade seven mark in p- piano mm. where I started to understand what it was about and, you know, the musicality started to shine through and the the, te- the technical side, the scales and it, it was it was secondary and mm. that was when it started to become a thing but with singing the the musicality was there before the technique and I, I've, I've only got <laughs> mum and dad to thank for that because sitting in on the rehearsals you know of, of the musical theatre it's been surrounded by yeah, it of course like you, you inadvertently of, pick it up none yeah. of these none of the, the people that um, mum and dad worked with I don't think were necessarily trained 
I, I'm not sure about that. I think a, a few were, but a mostly f- but people were on a uh, not amateur scale, but because they were clearly very good. Yeah, but what stood out with some of the the cast members was that was the the feeling, the musicality mm. behind it, and the understanding of what they were trying to say. Yeah, and I I think singing was my niche for that. That was my breakthrough. Mm. This means something to me. This I can I can express what I'm feeling. Even at that age, the, yeah, absolutely. Was that through? Do you think the the music or the lyrics? Was it more lyrically minded or musically minded? M- Melody driven. Always have been. Well, the first thing for me was Disney. You know, singing along for a lot of full pelt yeah. at these at these Disney songs as a kid, mm. and really believing that I was that character. It's bizarre. Absolutely. No, Belie- believing that I was Mulan. Believing yeah. it. hundred percent. Mm. You know, through these melodies. Um, yeah. you know, and I'd skip the rest of the film until it got to the next song. I mean, I remember- Fasso impression was brilliant. Fasso, what's it? No, Rafiki. Oh Rafiki. Rafiki. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh god. No, I, I remember the first thing that I sang um at my singing lesson was Go the Distance. From Hercules, Hercules yeah, yeah, and oh, so, so cheesy. Love it though. You know, I was I was twelve. I was twelve when I first did that, mm. and my 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 technique was obviously nothing because I hadn't trained before. But the the feeling behind it, my singing teacher picked up on that, and she was an adult singing teacher. She didn't teach kids. Yeah, and yeah. Mum obviously had a sly word and went, "Please, please teach my mm. daughter." But I think the reason why I stayed with her up up until I was nineteen was because of the musicality. And the technique was only, you know, it was only going to come with time because if you put enough effort into it, it'll come. Do you think that the, and it's only going on my own experience of things, is that a lot of it came down to parental approval and wanting to impress to mm. some degree, especially when you when you get a good thumbs up mm. from somebody, whether it be your teacher, your parents, your friends or whatever, and yeah. say, that's really good. Yeah, yeah. It, you latch onto it because, of course, it makes you feel good. Yeah. And then you kind of maybe kind of hone in onto that and you want to explore it more or keep going in that direction. Yeah. Um, and in my case, it was due to, it was the acting side or the theatre side. Yeah. and But a lot of it, I think, looking back on it now, is down to that it was for a sense of approval to make our mum and dad laugh. Mum and dad, though, yeah. rather than an audience. Yeah, at the time. To- yeah, that, that, but then that's mm. before... I was ever given the opportunity to kid. in front of an audience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that it was born out of mimicry, was seeing something, was mm. watching their reaction to something on TV, whether it would be at the age of, I remember like five, six years old, watching, they were watching Billy Connolly. Yeah. All the swearing and everything like that. Yeah. And I would then mimic that. Yeah. And then try and recite that same routine back to him and it would get a yeah. great laugh. And I then mean, try that's, to do that's that how kids learn, though, isn't it? I, I mean, think it is. Me personally, but I a think, lot of people on this podcast have said that, no, it's been very different. That it was never anything to do with I, parental. I, I, think, I think that's a theory. Maybe mm. that's not how all kids learn. But no, I no, think no. that, yeah, I think that's that's definitely possible. I yeah. Mean, I, the, what I mean to say is in, in comparison for you, and I, obviously being brought up in the same household, is that mm. was that the same for you? Or was it more that it was off your own back or, or that it was off of your own mind? Because I've always thought that you have been... So this is not to put words in your mouth so that you would explore this avenue. Mm-hmm. But I've always thought that you have been very aware of your abilities from a very young age. And you have a, had a better understanding of, and I think it boils down to your intelligence, of that how you can 
see a song for when you were very little. Yeah. You were able to dissect it. You were able to dissect the feeling of it and what made it a good song. Yeah. I think. I could be wrong in that. But because of that, do you then think, maybe impress mum, dad? Mm. But also at the same time that you thought, I know what I'm doing? Or was there... Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, um, I don't know if, if that's the right way to put I, it. Maybe I, I don't think know. that I think that there is a highly likely chance that I went through my childhood trying to impress mum and dad with the musical skills because I knew that I wasn't going to do it with anything else. Let's put it that way. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, right. I mean, I went to an incredibly academic school, like I said. Mm. Um, and at a very young age, I realised that I wasn't anywhere close to being the top dog in that area. Um, of academia, you mean? No. Yeah, right. I mean, I you know, I could write and I could you know, mm. I could understand you know, <laughs> you know, various things. But, but musically, I, were you top dog? At a point. Mm. At a point, I was. Yeah, and um, but that didn't last very long in school. It was the singing lessons that gave me the co- the courage and the yeah. confidence. But. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't ever consciously remember thinking I've got to do this to impress mum and dad, but I'm sure that it was it was there underlying somewhere. Mm. Um, even if it was just a reaction wanna, or something. A kid wants to be the best at everything. You know, if you've mm. got even an ounce of ambition in you, I think a kid wants to prove that they are better than than most. I think that's that's mm. quite natural with anyone with yeah. ambition. Well, there, there is um, that also side of it, of that, the egotistical side of it as well. Which I am I'm massively egotistical. Oh, I'm exactly the same. Yeah. I think yeah. we both know that of each other, that mm. a lot of it is driven by ego. Mm. The most self-deprecating mm. egotist that you'll ever meet. Mm. Yeah, but I think that, we're that's, on equal that's power to that. do with being a composer, but I'm sure we'll go into that later. But... Yeah, but well, there are other parts of your life as well, which I think has been the same. Yeah, but it's taken me this long to find my niche and feel comfortable within myself. The word then there's the difference though, as isn't being it? such. Yeah. As a kid, incredibly confident, way way too confident for a child because mm. I had a you know a very kind of um, not closeted upbringing, but a very comfortable upbringing, mm. which I would never you know would never take away. I think that you know was incredible um I had an incredibly good childhood um but when you when you kind of get unleashed into the world of creativity you realize that you're not the best mm. and it hits you like a fucking ton of bricks absolutely like a lead balloon around mm. the face yeah um and you you have to adjust you have to adjust to survive if you mm. want to survive mm. <laughs> Adapt you, or die. Adapt or die. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, you you have to make the ego conform to the world that you're living in, I find. Mm. So I know that I'm not, you know, the best musician in the world. I know that I'm not the best composer in the world by far. But you have to have enough ego to keep going. And in this day and age, mm. where everybody's trying to do what you want to do, whether it's composing, being a performing musician, an actor, a director, mm. whatever it is, you have to think somewhere, there's going to be a tiny ounce in you somewhere that thinks that you can do better than everybody else. Even if it's a, for a millisecond a day. I agree. Yeah. All it's got to be in there. I think it's it has to be. It's got to be in there. To, to, for some... I probably sound like such a dickhead right now. No, no, I, no. But, you know, I, I, I know what you, I know exactly how. That's what keeps you me mean. going. Yeah, 
again, back to upbringing many times already on this podcast that the the statement that will do never good no never good enough it's a complex issue <laughs> it can be absolutely i think uh, yeah due to the the way that you and i now think as adults yeah i think that is that is given us a gift in some degree but it's also hindered it's, us in, in a, others as well it's a blessing and a curse absolutely, i mean yeah. you yeah absolutely i mean mum she has an incredibly high standard for um for art in general mm. I mean, our mother is incredibly intelligent in almost every aspect you can think of. Mm. Um, Annoyingly, she's academic on top of on top of the creativity. Mm. Um, So yeah, I mean, for me, yeah, I've had to meet her high standard Mm. absolutely in Mm. terms of just being a human being. I think. Yeah. And um, on on top of the the creative thing, but with dad. One thing I always admired about him so much was, <laughs> it, sound, it sounds awful and really kind of sadistic, but mm. I loved the way that he killed himself to get yeah. the results he did. Absolutely. And it, we suffered as a family mm. for it because yeah. he would, you know, he'd, you know, you'd ask him a question, you wouldn't even realise you're in the room, that mm. kind of thing. But, but he, through that, did you... It, 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 we, we absorbed that, Tom. We absorbed that from absorbed the moment that, we were born. And there was an understanding there. Yeah. As well. I don't know if that you felt differently, but I knew that when it was, if it was showtime or that something was going on, that... Dad lived it. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't just yeah. showtime. No, Dad, yeah, yeah. Dad absolutely lived that. And um, he used to drive himself wild. I mean, he, he, you know, people say now in job interviews, like, oh, my main weakness is that I'm a, I'm a perfectionist, you know, no, which he, it makes you feel sick. Yeah. Dad's... True statement. Dad's actually was. Yeah. Um, he drove himself into the ground with mm. with that, and I, that must have made an impression on us. And you know, with with my work, because because I have to meet deadlines now, and I have people yeah. breathing down my neck. I have I have got to get things done by a deadline, and yeah. sometimes it isn't as good as I know it can be. Yeah. But there is a standard. There is still a standard, and I will, like Dad did work myself into the ground until I'm crying and throwing things across the room mm. to get to that standard. There are moments where I really, really wish I wasn't like that because mm. it really hurts. Yeah, it's true. And it, it's an unattractive quality at times. At least when you're, when you're doing the work, it's unattractive. Once you've done it, it's, it's great because <laughs> you can yeah. read the rewards. But um, it's when you're actually working, my God, do I hate myself for it. The but ability you, you've to... got to meet that before you let a piece of art go mm. that you've I mean from what you've created from the ground up yeah from from nothing from, from the blank scratch, canvas yeah, yeah it yeah. is you it is your heart on a plate yeah I can't let it go without no. it hitting that standard and I will stay up throughout the night mm. to get it done I won't let it go because I don't know why because but that, that it... doesn't mean to say that it's that it's not as good as it can be because it can always it 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 can always be better. It can always be better. I know that. Yeah, but, but there is a, f- there is a point where I go. I can let this go now. Other people can hear it. But then there's also that thin line of that. Okay, I can I can let it go. But also to a point of I can't stop fiddling with things. If I've got a yeah an, a, an edit that I do on a video or a play which I'm directing, yeah. and if it the, if it's just slightly out, I can't leave it. I can't leave but it. But what have you had someone down your neck saying I need it in two hours? There's the difference. That's the, exactly. That's a very very 
good point which has been made because the difference being of otherwise it in, doesn't get seen at all one it doesn't get seen at all because you could then just keep it and say right it's not good enough yeah or but it's also based on the fact that because you're working for somebody else it's a product yeah. or something which you're having to it helps it i'm sure it does it, it, it gives and it is, me it helps. sometimes there's a welcome pressure i think i work i work way better under pressure yeah 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 i think i've i think i've been doing it long enough now to know that i i need that external force yeah. to kick me up the butt and just you know i need that because again it's it it's a little a little bit for the glory it's a little bit and i need i need someone to turn around and say yeah good job yeah and that someone is actually listening to it if i'm working on something for myself entirely for myself i'm mm. way more lax about it it takes forever because there is no certainty that other pe- other people are going to hear it if That's I had true. a record deal and I was working on my own album, yeah. but there was some record label down my neck going, we need it now. Yeah, I would do it in, in a tenth of the time. Yeah, It's it's just finding the balance. Yeah, and plus because it's, if you are at the helm of it all mm. as well, you're incredibly more self-critical as well. And mm. it, you're displaying more of yourself. It's more heartfelt when yeah. it's if it's just solely yours, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it's very, it's just, it's just dawned on me then that speaking about it because you work a lot of the time by yourself you're very um it's it's very self-driven in some cases yeah but then in comparison to what i do if it's directing a play Mm. that how there is the reliance of other people yeah yeah. um, there is some form of instruction of that Mm. i want to get the best out of what i possibly can from you yeah yeah yeah. but then sometimes it's either they exceed those expectations Mm. and go they just completely blow your mind Mm. or it's that's just um, that's this the, is not what I had in mind. This is not yeah. what I had in mind, yeah. and that is the best I'm going to get out of you. Well, this is it. I mean, <laughs> over the years, I've realised that um, I am, yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty big con- control freak. But it, no, pre- Are you? shut up. <laughs> <laughs> this side of music, the composing side of, of mm. music, is incredibly solitary. Needless to say, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I don't like spending time on my own, actually. I, re- I really don't. I, mm. um, I would much rather be in other people's company um, for the majority of the time. But not when you're working. Though. But when I'm working, it, well, it's, it's quite a complex thing. But when I'm working, I, I like to work on my own at the beginning. Mm. Um, writing music with other people I find incredibly frustrating because it's mm. very difficult to share the, uh, the fundamentals of an idea from from the very beginning so if you have a band you, you usually have a songwriter don't you and then you have mm. you have the other guys that embellish it and make it what it what yeah. it is well you've been in bands I have been in bands um so <laughs> being in bands is what made me a composer because I couldn't hack it that's exactly what I was going to take it yeah is that when because you but you piece the band together yourself as well. It, I I formed I formed well the the, the cautionary child. If you think yeah. is that the band you're talking about? Well, yeah. But then I wanted to go into your influence about the the metal scene as well because I yeah. think that took that was a huge part into Massive. where you are now. Massive. But let's, well, let's talk about cautionary child for a second. Yeah, yeah. Cautionary child. I I wrote all the songs, and then my best friend she actually she was the one that kind of got me to write the songs really. Um, and then when they were written, she turned around and said, You've, we've got to perform these. She's a drummer. Mm. Um, oh, is this uh, is Rhea Williams? Rian Williams. Yeah. Rhea Rimsky. Superb drummer. Superb drummer. Yeah. Talented. Who's she playing for? And the band that she's in now is... She's 
in quite a few she's in bombs and she's in little thief and she does her own solo stuff as a singer now as well which i'm incredibly proud of her for but anyway she um she turned around and said you've got you've got to perform these this is stupid and at the point at that point we were heavily into our electronic music as well so we were heavily considering you know the integration of electronic music into live performance which was quite new at the time Mm. So we busted our balls trying to work out the technology because we hadn't really got a clue mm. about any of that stuff. Um, and we, yeah, I got I got her involved as the drummer and, and my friend Maz is the backing vocalist. And we had a guy called Jimmy and playing cello. Mm. And at the time, really, there wasn't much like it. Um, I was about to say, that's incredibly ambitious it, for, for a new venture. Yeah, it was it was pretty big. Mm. Um, but at the time, I was like, it's not big, it's, you know, it's just what I want to do and let's do it. You yeah. know, I didn't think of it as a big thing. But then when it came to the live show... It was, it was, it was hard because yeah. the tech, the tech side of it was so intricate that it was very difficult to, um, to perform, but there was no room for mistakes whatsoever. None, none. And I was playing keys, singing and, you know, triggering samples and stuff. And it was yeah. just too much. And I learned from that. I really learned yeah. from that. I loved, I loved every minute of it, but it was, you know, if anything went wrong, if anything was out of my control, it it just upset me so much. They ruined the whole experience for you. It, oh God, it just, we yeah. performed Day on Festival and I we were prepping for it like nobody's business. Like it was, we were really looking forward to it. And um, <laughs> everything went wrong. Everything that possibly could have gone wrong went wrong. Yeah. It absolutely did. Like That's, I rem- that's the life of the gigs. So this is, this yeah. is how bad it was. It was so bad that the technology wasn't working to such a degree that we had to, distract the audience by riding on a hobby horse (laughs) (laughs) along the front of the stage it was it was just horrendous and I came we held it together and then I came off stage and I literally collapsed yes I remember I collapsed in a panic in a it was I was I had a panic attack Mm. I was crying I didn't know what to do because I just felt so upset that I hadn't got across what I meant to get across yeah and it had to be perfect so I the fact that it upset me that much was a huge wake-up call. Mm. And I thought, shit, maybe performing isn't for me because it's too on the fly. Like, yeah, I respect people so much who do it. I, mm. I, oh my God, I really do. Um, but then is that due to, for the amount of things that you had to do, if you were to extract a couple of those and if you were left to, just to the keys? Who knows? <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Maybe. You no, know, that how I think maybe at that time there was just you took on too much, yeah, possibly. That's that is that is entirely possible. And like I'm not ruling out performing. Mm. Um I would love to go back to it, but I think um I'd like to do that through composing. Yeah. Rather yeah. than using performance as my way to make a career. Yeah. Um I mean I've proven to myself that I don't want it enough because I wouldn't have stopped. That the aspect of things, especially when it involves samples mm. and that kind of tech side is that you're not just solely relying on your performance you're relying on your crew as well you're relying on that mm. if you had your own sound engineer yeah, things like yeah. that it would be a lot different at it's, the beginning it's impossible of course absolutely. because you don't have your own sound guy yeah. you have to you know rely on this guy that truly doesn't give two fucks about you i mean we would i mean uh, before these gigs i would well me and Ree, we would painstakingly go through the tech spec mm. This has to be done. This needs to be set up in in this way. And then we turn up and they'd be like, "Where's the text back?" Yeah, it's like, "Fuck, I'm sent it to you." Yeah. It's important yeah. that you that you know it. And the thing is, they just don't care mm. because you know they expect you to be a you know a 
bog standard three piece four piece yeah rock I've not, band. I, I don't know who and, I've never heard of you before so I'll treat yeah you like exactly shit. but you know you have to deal with that shit at the beginning and you you've got to overcome those those obstacles yeah. it like I said if you want it enough true um it's a right I, I didn't yeah. I, di- I didn't want it enough at that point I would love to go back to it eventually i think now though through the people that you have now met mm. that you would have a better experience with absolutely it, i hope so yeah i really hope so well okay so talk about their live gigs so for example you played in bands you played in metal bands and rock bands and that was a long time ago but yeah so yeah. You, you're fully aware of the uh the, the gig lifestyle yeah at the time so for example it was uh there were bands like a uh, seven Isle, for example things <laughs> like that oh no why did you bring that up they're fucking cool they okay. weren't they well at the time it was no, it was still shit at the time. <laughs> <laughs> no there was some no there were some tiny musicians there yeah the yeah, musicians were, were great they were we great. were just super young well there was um i can't remember his name steph somebody on drums steph newcomb davis you can do that's my first boyfriend yeah didn't like him and chris dow on on bass yeah yeah prick. <laughs> no i love him <laughs> He listens to this quite regularly. Does he? Yeah, he does. Good. (laughs) (laughs) You were a female-fronted metal band. Yeah. Which was, at the time... Oh, well, Evanescence. But I mean, locally, there was no one around. Through that experience of doing the the live circuit and things like that, especially, I mean, around Exeter, all all those kind of music venues. As far as we got, yeah. Yeah, but but (laughs) even still, but it is uh, part of the circuit. Exeter Cavern is is one of the the, the circuit uh, venues. Yeah. And that how the experiences that you go through of the gear not working, bad performances, shitty crowds, Uh promotion, all that bollocks that comes with it, Mm. that... At that time and at, at that age, which was, I think you were around 14, 15? I think I was about, yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. That, 14, 15. Did you take it on board at that time? Were you learning through that, do you think? Learning, uh, looking back on it now, do you think that you learned things from it? Or do, were you the kind of vocalist that would just rock up and then get Oh, no, 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 no. I, le- I, I prepared for it. Yeah? I prepared for it, yeah. I mean... Did you take it seriously? Well. I did. I, I think I did as as much as a fourteen year old can take anything seriously. Mm. Like I, I at that point I wasn't really enjoying school that much, and that was my that was my way of I I don't know enjoying myself I guess because I felt like such an outsider in school the whole time that that was my mm. kind of big fuck you form of rebellion. Then. Fuck you! I'm in a metal band, you know, and. I have friends we were outside a very of conservative school. school as well. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah, and you know nobody really understood why I wore eyeliner in school, and it was you know people didn't really understand what I was doing. But I kind of liked that. I you know I I I enjoyed the fact that people didn't get it because um, it justified my my feeling of being an outsider. Mm. So I kind of I pushed I pushed towards that feeling. But I don't know I. You know, hanging out with with Steph and Chris, and I went to an all girls school. These were boys. Mm. Um, I don't know. I felt for the first time that I found a real affiliation with people. I found that people genuinely liked music in that band. Yeah. You know, in school, you know, people would listen to whatever they were told to listen to on Radio One, and mm. and I found that quite boring. And then I met these guys, and I just, I you know, I, I like that. I just felt like I was part of something all of a sudden. So where do you think that came from then? That that you you kind of didn't listen to the, the the commercial radio one stuff. Where was it? Do you think that there was an influence of 
know, oh, the alternative. You, you definitely. I remember, you know, when you were heavily in the 90s into the dance music stuff, mm. I, I remember, you know, thinking to myself, this is really cool. This is really cool. Mm. And I, I don't really like fucking, what is it, Renegade Master? And, yeah. Oh, God, what else? Yeah. Um, Robert, what's he called? Robert Child? Robert Miles. Robert Miles. Yeah. Ch- children. children. Children, that's it. Yeah. Robert Miles, oh, children. Oh, what a track. What a yeah. track, yeah. And I remember, you know, I used to listen to that while you know while you were playing and I thought that was really cool. So I guess that was alternative at the time. So it wasn't necessarily um, the metal or rock scene. It mm. was, okay, what else is out there? Yeah. Um, and I liked pop music. I did. I, mm. You know, I'm a big fan of the Spice Girls. Still am. Fucking great. Um, yeah, but nobody said to you, look at, what else is out there? That was through your own self yeah, exploration. It. Yeah, yeah, that was, and that wasn't taught. That's something which is naturally in you to do that. Yeah, I with think. music, with yeah. music. Yeah. Now, one of the people actually that I really, really need to thank more, and I, I, ha- I think I have told him, but I, you know, I should tell him more often, is um, Dan from Martian. Oh, Dan he, Kirk. He probably doesn't know the yeah. influence he's had. Yeah. Because I. You know, all of all of the kids at school on a Friday. You know, they'd we'd all go into into town after school, and they would all go do their shopping. And you know, I didn't really have as much money, so I just kind of used to wander around with them and whatever. And then I remember walking past with walking past Martian. Martian Records. Yes, that's right. Which was in Gandhi Street. In Gandhi yeah. Street. Mm. Yeah. Um, unfortunately is not there anymore such a a shame Um, what amazing place what a place got a lot to thank for it and um i remember walking past and being like oh it's kind of dark and grimy and that's kind of cool it's it's against everything that i should be let's go in so i yeah so i used to go in and um and just have a look around and you know dan you know i was i was a teenager like a Mm. spotty teenager and you know i used to go in and be like oh what what should i listen to i have no idea and he handed me things like i remember slipknot iowa was one of the the first yeah and you know renegades by rage and Mm. lamb (laughs) like yeah yeah, like electronica and stuff as well i was like i'll just just listen to this stuff Mm. and and every week every friday i would go home with a cd and i'd come home and and just literally lie in the dark and listen to it over and over and over and over again Mm. and that was how i spent my weekend yeah i didn't do what the rest of my friends did especially when i hit you know 15 16 Mm. and that became my that became my happiness really so i kind of i became quite naturally um solitary when it came to my music but equally inquisitive yeah very inquisitive still am i'm still surprising myself with with what i like and what i don't like but I hope that never ends, really. Yeah. I, I really hope that I'm still doing that by, by the end of my career. Because if you don't push what you're listening to, then what do you expect to, to churn out, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. We eventually end up becoming bored and things. My, yeah. my worst nightmare. So. Yeah, but I think you're very right in to thanking Dan for that. I mean, to, to have somebody from a local... a legend. Private school girl coming in and being like, mm. what, you know, what, what do you want? And he gave me the time of day and yeah. every week. Like, he shaped. He shaped. No one say he shaped what I listened to, but say like I remember um, picking up off my own back. Um, Alive or just breathing by Killswitch Engage. Mm. I remember watching. Was it my curse? Was their first single on Kerrang or Scars or something like that? I remember listening to oh, that. Oh no, it was like um, my last serenade. That's was it. That not that? my curse. Sorry, my mm. last serenade. Mm. That's it. The one with Jesse and. Mm. Um, 
I remember listening to that and just being like, holy mother of God, this mm. is amazing. This is the best thing I've ever heard. Yeah. And I, you know, not not, mu- not just musically, but like the the feeling yeah, that went behind it. It just blew it. my mind. And I, I remember thinking to myself, anything that wasn't that heavy was shit to me. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know, as a kid, you don't, you don't question it. You just think, oh, it, I like it because it's heavy. Mm. You know, now I look back and think I like it because it was heartfelt and honest and, yeah. and, you know, it doesn't matter how heavy it was. But I remember at that time thinking, this is what I like. I'm into heavy, heavy music and, you know, fuck everything else. But Dan broke that. Yeah. Dan broke that. I think it was actually with Lamb. He gave me mm. five by Lamb. Oh, and okay. I was kind of just like, whatever. And like took it and was like, fine. I trust you kind of thing. And um, I listened to it and it blew my mind. Mm. And then from there, I discovered Imogen Heap and Regina Spector and all these singer-songwriters. Mm. And, you know, he, he, he didn't yeah. shape what I did. He he didn't shape what I listened to, but he broadened it way, yes, way yeah, earlier yeah. than I would have done on my own volition. So I thank him for that. I really do. But, and uh, yeah. imagine how many people he's done it for as well. Yeah. yeah the shop yeah, isn't true. there anymore. No, but then that, that's something I going into the likes of the, the, you know, the independent shops. I know. You wouldn't get that in Virgin. And all that lot. No. No, not unless... But I'm saying that you worked for Virgin at one point. I did. And you tried to do that, I think. With, with I worked customers. on the rock counter for a while. Yeah. Yeah. No, no one gave a shit. <laughs> <laughs> no one cared. Do you remember that joke that Dad told at my 18th birthday party? I do. That was amazing. Yeah, your 18th birthday party and all, all your friends around. Speech that fathers make on the 18th birthday of their daughters and to which um, announced, to say, that... Uh, that he was very proud and glad that Tess was a virgin member of staff and it floored everyone. Bastard. It uh, was hysterical. It was brilliant. It was absolutely... But the, I could have killed him. The fucking timing mm. again. He was a funny fucker. He was. <laughs> could have killed him though. Yeah. Sorry, that just reminded me. I'd, yeah. I, I'd forgotten that I worked for Virgin until you just said that and then yeah. it reminded me of that story. I do listen to classical music, of course I do, because I, you know, I've had to because of the the training and mm. all of that kind of stuff, and I do really enjoy it. The majority of the influence I get is from the the rock, the alternative scene. Is it that, or is it of the emotive side of it? Because everything in which you, I no, think... te- technically as well. Yeah. Actually, I would say more technically, the the emotional right. side comes from me. That that's where the heart comes from. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't ever find myself really stuck for ideas when it comes to emotional content because I'm an emo, um, and I, you know, I've got an endless supply of, you know, emotional gushing to give. But it's it's if I'm stuck on structure or tonality or rhythm or a theme or something like that, mm. I don't turn to Beethoven or Reich or any of the classical greats yeah. necessarily. I. I turn to Tool or <laughs> Code and Cambria or, mm. yeah, there's a lot of math rock I'm really into at the moment, yeah. you know, that I'm incredibly inspiring and are doing some really interesting things. And structurally, that is, um, to me, far more, far yeah, far more inspiring, I would say, than mm. the classical stuff. Because let's, let's face it, I'm writing classical music, orchestra, orchestral music. Yeah. Why, re- why repeat? Why repeat yeah. the structure? I mean, well, it, you can well, learn a lot from it, absolutely. Mm. And I, you know, I, I still, I still do. There's obviously w- way, way more to learn. But um, if I want to do something different, 
Yeah. Or I want to, you know, I want to jolt myself. If I'm in a, a musical rut or, you know, a mm. writing block, or whatever, I'll listen to something really kind of weird. And that'll, well, that'll usually, that'll usually kickstart something. Right. Um, whether it's usually, you know, at the moment I'm, I'm crap at rhythm. I've always been really shit at rhythm. And I'll listen to math rock, you know, with loads of different time signatures and stuff. Yeah. And that gives me loads of ideas. And mm. I, I, I love that stuff. So there's inspiration in, in that side of things, but then mm. how about when you have been working for, because you're now um, a freelance composer yeah, and that you've worked on many different genres of, uh, of classical music as well as producing things for, for, uh, for, for many different types of artists and things, mm. that when you're given a theme mm. and it's got to be based around this. Like a reference. Yeah, so for example, most recently you worked on the Marvel Lego uh, game of the Avengers. Yeah. And that's so obviously that has got to fit in a certain type of genre and niche. Mm. For example, I don't know if you, how much you're allowed to talk about this, but were you mm. given examples of, of a line and structure that you have to follow? Or were you basically just given, right, here are a few uh, photos of, of the of the game? Come up with your own type thing. For Marvel Avengers, we given references from the films. Right. Um, so we had, you know, I had references from the uh, Iron Man soundtrack. I had references from Captain America. So how difficult is it not to just blatantly copy? It is hard, actually. Yeah. It, it is hard. I mean, you... It, again, it's it's a blessing and a curse because when you're doing stuff to a deadline, it really helps to have a reference. Mm. Um, so you're not kind of beating around the bush and do a million drafts before you get to what you need to do. Mm. Um so it is it's it's good in that way but you but unfortunately when you have a reference you're never quite sure how close to the reference you need to be yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. you usually the case is write something exactly like this so but not so much that we don't get sued mm. that's usually the case with with um Traveller's Tales the game the game developer they were really cool about it and they you know Rob Westwood the main composer for for Lego you know he said it's kind of like this don't take it too seriously yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. i have enough faith in you to write something strong enough yeah um which was which was amazing i know that in film and tv it's slightly different it's a bit more cutthroat mm. than that yeah um but yeah they were um they're very kind and they just basically they basically just said you know take a theme like this, say, take the take the melody from this mm. Iron Man um, track, and reorchestrate it, or you know, right. or write your own thing, but write your own melody and orchestrate it as the references, one or the other. Make it, yeah. you know, make it kind of similar. And um, I find that, I find that quite fun actually, because be. I'm I'm a, yeah. I'm a big fan of orchestration. I I mm. I, I do enjoy it. Um, so where is that born from? Because coming from a Again, knowing what you've grown up with and what you, uh, I suppose, influenced by, and you know, hearing what you've been listening to, which then influenced me. I mean, my God, how many times that you were listening to bands? You introduced me to my favorite band, which is Incubus. Yeah, and I things did. Yeah, like yeah. that, you know, which is you're welcome. Not so much anymore, though, which is sad. No. How is it? Do you think that you can go from? I can understand structurally how a band rock band works mm. or possibly even maybe a tech band mm. but then to go into trying to dissect how an orchestra works mm. i can't do it i get lost it's far too many instruments and to be able to have the ear to be able to do that 
do you think is that then something which you have trained constantly like over and over and over again or again is that something which is just natural to you that you can hear something and go that violin's slightly out i can't really answer this cleverly i mean i i i think that obviously training has a lot to do with it Mm. um and listening to a lot of classical music growing up Mm. that is probably made quite a heavy impact on my ability to to orchestrate mm. to be able to understand the orchestra no it it takes it takes quite a lot of effort really um to understand you know for example the ranges of a certain instrument you know you can't just write any old stuff for any instrument you've yeah. got to think closely as to how how does this trom- trombone work mm. can it slide from this note to this note um and you have to have a certain knowledge for that you have to read up on that that is a a limited knowledge you you can't go past a certain rule when it when it comes to that kind of thing so i would say that that does take that does take some you know training and you know Mm. reading of textbooks and that kind of thing um but i wouldn't ever say that i found that difficult because i've always found it so interesting i've always found you know acoustics very interesting you know Mm, why why does something sound full why does why does some why does this collective of instruments sound the way that it does? Yeah. You know, why do woodwinds sound um ethereal and beautiful and and far away and distant? You mm. know, why do they sound like that? And and why is it that short staccato strings sound like an action piece? Why why is that? You mm. know, and I there's quite a lot of aesthetics to go there's a lot of kind of philosophical questioning to go in with orchestration as well and i i i've always found that so so fascinating that it's kind of overtaken the technical side i've always thought okay how do i create this sound and then i'll listen to other things that have done the same thing mm. and and done it that way rather than looked in a textbook yes do you know yeah. what i mean and, yeah and, i do and yeah. i suppose that you know you, you learn the hard way you know you'll write something you'll write something for you know trumpets and realize it doesn't fucking work yeah. You'll realise that a blend of, mm. you know, of cor anglais with horns yeah. at a certain register does not work. And you, but then you, us through the learning experience. You, you learn the hard way. Yeah. Do you remember the first piece that you ever wrote orchestrally? Um, well, I suppose actually thinking about it, that aside from the, like bands like Cautionary Child, of where you're adding all these different types of layers. Yeah. And then, so you already kind of have a bit of a head start into that before then you... Yeah, I, I, I think it all started then. I mean, the the first time that I started con- to consider orchestral instruments was when I started getting into things like um, Imogen Heap. Mm. It was songwriting. It yeah. was songwriting, but she would use extended techniques on a cello or, you know, use a trumpet in a 13-second, you know, section of a song. And I mm. just, I, I don't know, I found that incredibly interesting. Yeah, I guess that that's that's where it all really started. But I wouldn't, I don't think that I got even close to really understanding the orchestra until I went to Berkeley. That that mm. was that really opened my eyes as to the potential. How did you end up at the likes of of Berkeley? Well, the truth of it is, um, I was I'd graduated from my undergrad. Um, and feeling incredibly deflated, felt like I hadn't really learnt much. Due to, I felt like it was very similar to school in that I had to, I had to learn what I was told to learn rather mm. than exploring anything. Yeah, I didn't feel yeah. like I was 
in charge of my own mind, really. I just, yeah. I, there, you had to tick these boxes and blah. So I came out of my undergrad feeling very deflated. And then on top of that, um, feeling very bogged down by a reality, really, because, you know, mm. uni is such a bubble and then you get thrown out into the real world with no prospect. So I was very, I felt incredibly lost incredibly lost it hit me like a ton of bricks yeah. and um, Did you have given up music at any point did you uh, was, that I was at close. that point i was close genuinely thought at one point that i should have done psychology instead of music but that was because of the impatience in me i've i i was too naive and i i genuinely believed that now that i'd done an undergrad like i'd got a degree in music that i would be a musician yeah, yeah. um i was really naive yeah i suppose the reality of that um I became incredibly depressed, incredibly depressed and anxious mm. and life wasn't what I thought it would be mm. at all. And I just kind of hit hit reality with a bang, you know. Was that down to, sorry to interrupt, but did you think it was down to as soon as you leave that you were just going to get yourself a music job? I thought that with the, um, <clears throat> with the degree, I'd have a better chance of working within the arts. Yeah. So I was I was studying at Cardiff at the time, so I was applying to, you know, the Millennium Centre there, yeah, all the various yeah. theatres, any art centre I could basically get my hands on. Mm. And I wouldn't even get a rejection letter, I'd just be ignored. Mm. And that happened for a good year. Mm. And I was working in um I was working in bars at the time <clears throat> and then eventually I started uh, teaching singing at uh, at Stagecoach, at Stagecoach Theatre School. Mm. Um and that was that was fine, but it you know it wasn't making things, it wasn't creating things, it wasn't performing or anything really that was um, satiating any kind of creative need. So I yeah. I I became very disillusioned. Yeah, very... you were teaching others though at the time. I was teaching singing. It wasn't fulfilling you as a as an I, artist, I, I guess. I I love teaching at points, incredibly rewarding, and I'd love I'd love love to go back to it. I don't think that I have enough experience yet, but mm. I would love to go back to it. But um. I completely lost sight of who I was, became very disappointed in life in general. I couldn't understand why I was working in a bar when I felt like I was so much better than that. Mm. Um, it sounds really arrogant of me, but I just knew that I, I had more to give. That, that's yeah. all it felt like. It's not that I was above it. I just knew that I wasn't doing what I needed to do. Yeah. And um, yeah, I became incredibly depressed, you know, very, very quickly. Mm. And... I knew that it came to a point where I knew I had to do something drastic because yeah. it was either do or die at that point. I found life bordering on unbearable. I know it sounds very, very dramatic, but that's the truth. Yeah. And um, I think for uh, the life of an artist, I don't think that's um, over dramatic at all. I yeah. think it's the way that's the way it feels. Yeah, it, it did. It, it really did. And I, um, uh, I, had, I knew I had to do something big to, to make myself feel like I had a place. Mm. you know so I I, I looked at um, at various courses master's courses a, across the globe really mm. and I'm not going to lie anything abroad and outside of what I was experiencing at the time was very attractive to me mm. so I did look at things abroad so I looked at Berkeley and um, funnily enough I applied to I don't know if you know this actually I applied to the, an undergrad course at Berkeley Boston and I got in and, no, I did not know this. Fucking hell. And I didn't take it um, because dad was ill at the time. Right, okay. And I didn't, I didn't take it. 
rejecting that and then kind of thinking about that endlessly about what could have been made me reconsider you know education Mm. um so I a couple of years later applied for the master's course because they they in fact I I messaged them back and said you know I I I can't do this right now Mm. they said well hold tight because there's going to be a master's course coming soon seeing as you already have an undergrad oh really blah 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 so they they said hold tight yeah they they basically just said hold tight you know there there are things that will be closer to the UK yeah um, if your situations don't change, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I did, I waited. And then this course came up, which was the the film course, mm. the Masters in Film. And um, oh, where, where was this? This was in... This is in Valencia. Right. So I applied to that and I didn't tell anyone. <laughs> mm. I didn't tell anyone. I just, I just kind of pulled together as much of a portfolio as I possibly could. I thought it was utter shite. I thought it was just utter balls. Mm. And I sent it away anyway as a desperate kind of thing. And they, I got in. <laughs> I was yeah. like, what? Okay. And then I remember getting the email to say that I got in. And then I thought, well, that's great, but I can't afford it. Yeah. Because it's incredibly expensive. It's an American school. So, mm. you know, the fees are huge. So I thought, oh, how am I going to have this conversation with my parents? How am I going to mm. do this? And then a day later, I had an email saying that I got a scholarship. So that changed everything. That changed absolutely everything. And I thought, wow, okay, if these people think that I'm worth that, then... Huge encouragement. So, yeah, yeah, so I went to to mum and dad and grandma was, you know, said, do it. Yeah, absolutely. And she, yeah, they, they, you know, very, very kindly Mm. had the faith in me to, you know, to invest in in my career. Absolutely, yeah. And um, thank God they did because it saved me. It, it, really abso- did. it yeah. absolutely saved me. I think from your mental state at that time to seeing how, oh, it, how it changed you very, very quickly as well. Yeah, I was a mess. And I think I, you, I completely underestimated the value of having peers. Yeah. yeah. And um, although I had lots of friends in music, being a composer is a very, very special breed. Mm. It's, you know, it's, wanting glory but from the back seat yeah it's wanting to be seen without being seen Mm. and um you don't get that i don't think unless you're surrounded by the same type of people who understand the the difficulty and the hard work that goes into it i felt i felt incredibly isolated by it and then when i went to berkeley it was literally on the first day day i met all these people and i just thought i just immediately felt safe yeah not even not not happy not content i would say no just like you knew you i felt that i wasn't mad isn't that funny what, i just that, that, that they were the same or no because we were all so fucked up yeah you know like love them i, I love every single person that i that i met there. i'm still incredibly good friends with a lot of people there mm. but we are a special breed yeah extroverted introverts to the the highest degree mm. You know, and we we all write in different styles, but we all have this 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 common thread between us, which is which is this wanting to have a voice yet not wanting to be at the front of the stage. Yeah, and that's a very difficult thing to be. So, then, is that a? Um, I know obviously a completely different medium, but mm. I I don't really like that attention. I don't really like it being at the forefront. Mm. I like being behind the scenes. That's why a director. Yeah, it kind of makes sure that it works. It's the equivalent, and, really, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, to to a degree. Well, it's, well, it's creating something. It's creating something, but but not, not being seen on the on the night. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because but then equally at the same time, I have a a, a lot of people just see it as that. Oh, right, and then suddenly it's there. It's just that. Oh, right, okay. I'm gonna mm. go watch a show, or I'm gonna go watch a band, or mm. go and hear an orchestra play. Mm. And there really isn't this fully developed understanding of mm. how it gets from A to B, the A to B process. Mm. Does that bother you? It does, yeah, sometimes. Does it? Yeah, not all the time, because it, uh, I, I think the work as a director is, is more self-gratification than anything else. It's not about the applause and all the rest of it. It's mm. knowing that you did a good job. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And watching a performance go from all the bits which you've worked on mm. and to go, right, that took a long time to put together. That yeah. bit, like that, that five-second segment of what you just, you've just seen. You don't know how much work went into that. That took two weeks yeah, to go, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and of course, you don't you don't get to say that to an audience. You don't get yeah. to display that with an audience. So that's why then, when you surround yourself with those kind of people who do understand mm. what's that like, those are the people you yeah. kind of lock into or hone into a lot more. I, w- I wish I could explain it. I wish I could explain it in more detail than mm. I can. Because when I was at when I was at Berkeley, we we weren't the only course. So there were yeah, the course, performers, yeah. and then there were the music business lot as well. Mm. And there, were mus- and there was music technology innovation as well. So there are, four, there are four courses. I know we were segregated anyway because of our courses, but there was definitely a sense of unity mm. within each course. I suppose quite obviously, really, because we were all yeah, interested in the same yeah. thing. There, There is still, you know, still my best friends that I, I would consider, you know, some of my best friends. Mm. I'm still in contact with them. This is two, three years later. And would contact them, you know, on you know, on a personal level, not just on a in our, yeah. on a work level, yeah. because I feel safe around them because they understand mm. what it's like to be in such a a niche and complex mm. industry. Do you like I, I that, wish though? I could describe that a bit more. I, I, sorry, I can't really, I can't no, really I define it. No, I think it's well defined. I think no, I think they, just we're a really weird breed yeah. of people. Let's just put it that way. But do you like being part of that breed? Is that something which yes. you think is that it, that's what sets you different amongst the rest? I don't think it, it sets me apart from, mm. from anyone else. I just, um, it's nice to know that I'm not alone in in the very fundamentals of what I believe in musically, which is just be honest if I'm going to be honest about what I think we all have in common as composers, whether you're writing a, a, a concert piece with no with no film or video game to accompany it or whatever, yeah. it's got to be honest. It's right. got to come from somewhere that is absolutely true. Otherwise, it has no purpose. And I think that we all kind of understood that to some degree degree and when you apply that to film you've got to really you've got to really get in touch with the emotional side of what you're seeing Mm. you've got to be quite emotionally available to be able to draw the emotion from something that you're seeing and then apply that to music you've got to be quite raw you've got to be quite in tune with what's going on to do that and um we're we're all quite sen- we're all quite sensitive souls, but at the same time, quite you know, quite introverted as well. Take your own music out of the equation for the moment. Okay. What makes a good song? Honesty. Loads of great musicians out there. Um, mm. 
they write very competent songs. Um, there are incredibly technical musicians out there that write, you know, very complex themes and, you know, are technically very good, but there's no heart behind it. There's no honesty. But then isn't that heartfelt rather than honesty? Because you can manipulate honesty. And you can manipulate heartfelt as well. You can tell when honesty is being manipulated. There are some incredibly simple songs. Yeah. There are some incredibly simple songs that come from the heart truly. I ask that question to myself quite a lot. Mm. And that's the only answer I can come up with. You know, one of our favourite bands, Ruben. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, the reason why I think that we love that band so much is because it's the music is so relatable. And it's not just lyrical, if you think about it. The lyrics... No, it's not. No, the no. lyrics are are incredible. They're very good. Mm. It's the narrative. It's what drives it, I think. Yeah. But the the music that goes behind it is... It comes from a very, very honest place. You know, the the emotion behind the cause, if you want. Then, you know, they it, are... Well, then that's what I mean. It's surely then that honesty comes from purely an emotional or emotive place, doesn't it? I don't ask it because I ask every musician that's, that's come onto this. So that how how would they define a, you know what makes it a, a good song? And they've every single one of them said uh, emotion, the emotive side of it. But isn't isn't that then part of it, honestly part of that? Yeah, I mean you can have a very emotional song, um, written by not a very good songwriter. Yeah, very true. Um, yeah. So you could have, you know. There are quite a few out there, you know, where the lyrics are incredibly heartfelt, but mm. this, but it's like the the music doesn't back it up. Mm. But then on the other hand, you can have incredibly good musicians who don't write with any heart. Yeah. So yeah. for me, it's it's the balance of having the emotional intelligence to integrate the songwriting into what you really truly feel within that moment that you're writing. That to me is perfect songwriting. Ruben, you know, you know Jamie Lenman, he he is a, a big figurehead of mine for that. Mm. I think he nails that. He you know when he's writing, you can you can really sense this this honesty, you mm. know, and it's not just lyrical. The the music backs that up. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah. already mentioned uh, um one of my personal favorite kills which engage. Mm. You got the song like um End of Heartache, which is I think probably one of the most perfect rock metal songs ever yeah. written but it's formulaic it's so it's it's verse chorus verse chorus and it you know it escalates mm. and but if the lyrics weren't integral it yeah, would just be any other song but then you're talking just lyrically then aren't you so do you, does a song have to be does the music and the lyrics have to align for it to make it a good song um not for it to be a good song but for it to be great and for okay, it, and, a great and, song and for okay. it to be remembered, mm. I often find that it's you, you have to have both. You have to have this this sense of honesty. Mm. The, those are the songs that kind of live throughout time, aren't they? From what I can see, mm. you know, you, you can get you know, like a lot of David Bowie stuff. I've been listening to a lot of his stuff mm. recently, and you know, musically, it's quite it's quite simple. It's quite straightforward, but yeah. the the meaning behind it mm. um in in tandem with the music that he's writing is you can tell that it was an organic process when he was writing it do you know what i mean yes that yeah. i think that's that's the key you can you can sense that you know 
there wasn't a bunch of people in suits in the room going, okay, there's the song. Let's get a song. Let's get a lyricist to to put some stuff over the top of it. Yeah. You know, you can you can sense there was a real purpose behind the song. Mm. Um. I know, like you know, things like "Don't Fear the Reaper." Yeah. Fucking bizarre. That's yeah. you know, if you take that musically, if you take that that song musically, mm. it is so weird. It is so so weird. But when you listen to what the what the the songwriter is saying, the what, meaning, what Blue yeah. Oyster Cult are actually saying, um, it makes sense. And can you then still do it with box salad annually? There is the summer hit. There's always the, yeah. you know, the song or the summer. Mm. And within I was to say the last ten years, maybe it's mm. usually a dance track. Yeah. Yeah, not all the time, but occasionally it's a it's a. Mm. A dance track. And that kind of sums up the emotion. And not so not the emotion, but it sums up the era of where we are at the time, for example. Yeah. And then that's not exactly... I wouldn't declare it as honest. Yeah, I mean, I... What I would define as a good song is totally different from the next person. Mm. I mean, I the, the things that I always go back to, mm. the things that I'm drawn to, are um, songs that I find that I can sense that there is a sense... You know, there is a... Um, of this feeling of this organic writing mm. um, process where it's it's just come from the heart and there's no bullshit there. There's no, yeah. there's no trying to be anything. There's no, you know, it's not trying to be a sound. It's not trying to say something. It's just there. It just is. Mm. Um, and that's the stuff I find myself coming back to. But there are these incredible, you know, like Happy by Pharrell Williams. Yeah, absolutely. Good example. Yeah, yeah I mean, hardly any lyrics in it. But what a tune. Yeah. What a tune. You can't deny that you won't tap your foot to it. No, so I love it. I but personally I wouldn't I I don't listen to that out of choice. Mm. But that's just me. That's 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 me. I mean, yeah. who am I to say what a good song is? It's all subjective. Are you one of those people where it's solely down to your profession? Because there are a lot of people now which I think think they don't experience other things. I mean, yeah. they go and do things, of course, but I mean, yeah. the actual way you get your fu- your fulfilment from. I get fulfilment from having dinners with people, hmm. having long conversations with people. Like I said earlier, like I'm, I'm, I like to spend time with with others. I, I'm, yeah. I, you know, when I'm not working, I like to be in the company of others and conversing and yeah, conversing, like yeah. I, I'm a massive. Uh, observer I, I love much the same yeah I love to watch people I love to listen to people I love to um, try and understand how people perceive the world because I'm so unsure mm. <laughs> I'm so unsure as to how I perceive the world that I think I get a lot of um, I get this sense of safety and feeling a grat- gratification when I listen to other people and how they see things and how they perceive things Take I take a lot of joy from that like one of my favorite things is just to sit around a table with a meal mm. and a bottle of wine mm. and try and put the world to, the world to rights really that yeah. that's that's one of my favorite things yeah nature nature's another one yeah yeah i mean i i guess just re- just really simple things there's nothing really outside of music that's man made that i can say that i truly i truly mm. love yeah I like I like reading books, but I wouldn't say that that gratifies me particularly. Mm. Um, 
I like to be knowledgeable, I suppose, and that's that's why I read. But no, I mean the 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 joys in life for me come from other people. My dog, yeah, just being with my dog. That's a good one. Yeah, she's a beast. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Looking, I like looking after people. I like making mm. I like making meals for people. I was gonna say you because know, you are uh, quite the cook. I like you're I always like cooking. cooking for people. I love cooking. Um, I yeah, I don't know. I guess I I don't ever think that it's looking after people. I I just like making people happy. I suppose and music's mm. one of those one of those things. Mm. I feel like cooking is like a fail-safe way yeah. of making people happy. It, I know it sounds... Plus you have the element of control as well. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Epic control freak. But I think with what I've what I've learned after getting a dog as well is that um, I love trying to see things from different perspectives. Mm. And, you know, you know, I was saying earlier about, you know, the interest in psychology. I was very, very close to going down the the psychology route, maybe going into Mm. clinical psychology or something like that. Um, And having a dog, you know, just watching her and thinking, what, what is going through your mind? Like what is, you know, what is it that makes you happy? And feed me. (laughs) You have the opportunity to go and conduct the English session orchestra. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Other than talk about that. How, how did that feel to be able to stand in Air Studios of London, mm. and be able to conduct that orchestra with a with a piece of music that which you have written. Uh, <laughs> Is there any way to define it? I don't really know how to. I mean, I. What was the piece for exactly first? But you know, okay. put, put in some sort of context. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the piece originally was for a, a independent video game company that i met in valencia mm. um really cool bunch of guys actually and they were writing they were making this game um which is kind of like a steampunk vibe which is very in at the time mm. and um it was like a they they needed a, a musical theme for the for the game and because we had to, at the time, um, at Berkeley, we had to have something to sync the music to um, in terms of visuals. So I got in touch with these guys and they gave me like a very, very rough edit of a, a, a cutscene that they'd written for this game. So I started syncing the music to that. I started just for any inspiration, basically. Mm. Um it turns out they still haven't. They still haven't made the game. Really? <laughs> they still haven't made the game. No, the uh, the the head developer um, pulled it. I think for a couple of years, and the the designers are doing it on off their own back now. Oh, okay. yeah, it's wow. really sad. But um, but yeah, I mean, it gave me my my inspiration, so I'm not really complaining. Mm. But yeah, so it was kind of like this this western this western themed mm. uh, game. But it was it was modern, so I thought to myself, then you know, the Magnificent Seven. Let, let's mm. let's do something like that. Yeah. Uh, and then I listened to the soundtrack for the Magnificent Seven, and I thought, oh my god, this is really, really, mm. this is really complex stuff. Um, but I thought, okay, well, I might never, ever, ever get the opportunity to record with an orchestra ever again, let alone at Air Studios. Mm. You either make it awesome or you fuck up. Mm. So I just I put my all into it and I wrote I wrote Steampunk Riders and it was I can honestly say the best experience I've had in mm. my life. Yeah. And I've been pretty lucky. I've had quite a lot of lovely experiences. Yeah. So I 
yeah, I mean, it was terrifying in that I realised, like I said, it was probably my only chance to do this. Mm. You know, if if you know if I'm lucky, I'll get to record there again. But I I fully put my hands up and recognised that that might be the only time. Mm. Um, so that was very heavy. That was very that that recognition was very heavy on my shoulders yeah. at that point. Um, so I was bricking it because I wanted to make it amazing. Yeah. And, you know... You, I, could you enjoy it at the time? Or was it over like a flash and incredibly fleeting? Do you want to know a lovely story? We, we, we all came... Because obviously the school, the, the school that I went to is in Valencia. Um, so we all came to London for a couple of days to record... To, for all of us to record our pieces at, at mm. Air Studios. And mum and dad turned up on the morning that that my piece was going to be recorded <laughs> as soon as they arrived that was when the nerves kicked in yeah, it was just like course, i was yeah. okay until they got there and yeah. then i was like oh my god this is real you know because the whole experience of berkeley was so surreal that mm. you could kind of just you know float your way through it um but when they turned up it be- it became very yeah, very, real, very real and the nerves yeah. kicked in and oh um and i remember dad um before i had to say goodbye and like go back go into the the booth and stuff and my dad um, kind of pulled me aside and was just like, I know you're really scared right now. I know you are. Mm. But look at what you're doing. Mm. If it's for a split second, yeah. just take it in. Just take it in. Enjoy it. In, yeah. If you enjoy it, then... Can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. And at the time I was like, shut up, dad. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've got work to do kind of thing. Yeah. I went up there and thought, "Oh my god, it's a it's a disaster. It's gonna like all the all my parts are gonna be wrong. I know it, even though I've triple checked them, you know, checked them ten times. I know that something's gonna be wrong. Something's mm. gonna go horribly wrong." You got up there, and the the orchestra were just so lovely. You know, they were all smiling at me and were just so kind. You yeah. know, just it was it wasn't a real experience. Let's put it that way. They knew we were students, and they were yeah. you know they were very nice to us. But I I appreciate it and. Um, they, I remember the, the lead violinist kind of like lead the orchestra, just kind of like looking up at me and smiling at me mm. as to say, you've got to go now. You've got to start mm. this. You've got to start this thing. Yeah. So I was like, okay, right. So I started it and I, I might as well have just like had another piece playing in my head at the time. <laughs> I, I, meow, 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 I just meow, had meow, the, meow, yeah, 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 exactly. I'd, all I remember was the click in my yeah. head and, um, I couldn't hear I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't hear anything because I was so overcome mm. by what was happening. I mean, 70 musicians in front of you right, playing your music yeah. and not just musicians we're talking about musicians plucked from the London Symphony. Yeah. And the heritage and the, well the the, the the film music people yeah. you know the people yeah. like for Christ's sake the guy that was on the timpani played for all of the Star Wars original trilogy. Yeah. That's... For Christ's sake, and I, I was just, you know, I just thought about this, pressure. this is, this is, this is ridiculous. Mm. This, you know, and you couldn't help. All of us couldn't help but feel this is just stupid. Like, why are we? This is ridiculous. And the first take, I guess, went well. Mm. I guess because the lovely guy behind the um, behind the desk, engineer called Jake Jackson, incredible mm. man. Um, who's worked on God knows how many amazing films was engineering my piece. But anyway, um, he, you know, he was in my ear going, really good, 
do it again. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. So I did it again. And then like the next, the, the second take went by and I just thought, okay, that that's, I'm starting to hear it now. I'm starting yeah. to hear the difference between what I'd written on Sibelius and how it was sounding yeah. in real life. And then the, obviously the adrenaline started to kick in and the endorphins started to go. And I got more smiley and more kind of, oh my mm. God. And started to <laughs> let go a little bit more. Because I was a robot conducting at the beginning, yeah. you know, just trying to get the beats it's right. Finding your groove as well, isn't it? You are finding your groove. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you're so lucky because you have when you're <laughs> writing for film music, it's all to a click because it's all yeah. synced, so you don't have to worry necessarily about the conducting. That the, the the importance is getting the feeling across. Like I said, the honesty, mm. you've got to get that feeling across the orchestra because if it looks like you're not trying, they yeah. don't give a fuck. They're not going to try either. Yeah. So that was quite important. So when I started to loosen into it. Um, I started to hear it. I started to hear it come to life. And that was, again, on top of the, um, you know, what I was hearing already. I just couldn't believe what I was hearing because um, it went well. Mm. I'd gotten through it and there were no mistakes. Yeah. And I just thought, oh my God, I'm doing this. Mm. This is actually happening. And then <clears throat> I think we got through half of the third take and then Jake said that it could have been slightly tighter yeah. halfway through. Um, so he stopped it. Um, and then we went back and retook it. And it, I remember explaining to the, the different sections of the orchestra how I wanted it to feel in between those takes and just saying, right. you know, like, you know, this is a Western. You know, you've got to imagine the Magnificent Seven. You've got to imagine, mm. you know. And I, I gave a bit of myself to it. Yeah, right. okay. And just, I didn't have to be there, if I'm honest. I just, I just tried to explain to them what it meant to me yeah. and what they needed to, you know, get across if they would be so kind kind of thing. Yeah, please, um, please, 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 please be nice to me. Yeah. And, um, and they, they, on that take, they nailed it. And mm. right from the beginning, like it starts with just like a, a single um, a quarter note. Yeah, um, we'll, trumpet. Link it, we'll link it to this. So yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. People can hear um, it, yeah. Um, it just starts with one note and um, to repeat it over and over again. And I just knew, I just knew that take, the trumpet, was just, just nailed it. Just on it. He, was, yeah. he wasn't even looking at his music. He was looking at me. just like, yeah, yeah, let's go, let's <laughs> go, kind of thing. At that point, I knew that that was the best moment in my life. I don't know why. Mm. I don't know why. I just thought, this is fucking amazing. And then there's a moment where uh, there's basically two themes in the piece. Yeah. Um, there's like the, the A theme and then there's a B theme. And then the two themes come together at the end. Right. Um, and when that happened, I looked up at mum and dad, mm. just, just briefly, mm. just looked up at mum and dad and I remembered what dad said. And I stopped thinking. Yeah. I stopped thinking for, I don't know, it couldn't have been more than three seconds because you could, when you're conducting, you can't really stop thinking. But I remember just zoning out for a second and just thinking, I love this. I don't get excited by music anymore. There's nothing of reason. Maybe that's just an age thing. I don't know. But there's nothing that really makes me go, holy shit, that is amazing. Mm. Because I think, I believe that I've, oh, I've already, you know, I've, I've, I've heard so much already. really yeah nothing nothing not not anything of recent times no i mean i can look at things and appreciate it to its highest regard Mm. of that is a very well-written song yeah or a very well-written piece of music Mm. and i can appreciate it but not to the point of where i'm surprised sorry excited is a different word i'm not surprised by music anymore 
I mean, I think if anybody goes into music wanting to surprise people, then they're a bit of a dickhead. I mean, no, I, yeah, but I, I, mean, I by... don't. I don't think surprising people is is many many musicians' goal. Mm. Um, I mean, to say there aren't any, more, there are no more pioneers in music. I don't think. Well, we've hit such a state of you know of I guess you call it postmodernism, where yeah, you know everything yeah. is so fused together you know mm. like there's so many different genres now and so many you know hybrid uh works where there are so many you know different cultures and mm. time periods and yeah, exactly. you know styles coming together that you it, i guess nothing is really surprising anymore mm. but i think you've got to look on the bright side of that and think that it is it is absolutely endless you know postmodernism yeah. basically yeah. means the combinations of of what we could achieve mm. is ultimately endless and mm-hmm. infinite. And how exciting is that? Thank you very much for coming uh, up the stairs and having a chat. You're welcome. Um, so uh, no, it's been uh, really cool to to hear what you uh, really think about it all. It's been quite quite nice. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Make me a tea. No. <laughs> <laughs> The wonderfully talented, incredibly intelligent, bastardly better-looking little sister, Tess Tyler, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it's hard to do a wrap-up on this episode because I obviously know Tess very well and that how to then try and define what I've taken from the conversation is, is conversations that we've had many, many times before. So maybe of personally directed to her this and said that of how incredibly proud our whole family are all of you. Your hard work, perseverance, dedication uh, towards music um, is second to none. And um, just keep doing what you're doing because uh, you're, you're making treads and, and Dad would have been proud. There are links to Tess's work on the Chatship Podcast Facebook page. But also if you're interested in um, going to uh, Tess's website, you can go to the website which is www.sayitquick.co.uk and look it up in the bio of her description there. In the meantime, all the best. Cheers.